0: Today, the last sermon on love. Remember the first week was the love of what? Anybody remember the first week was forgiveness, but who forgiving who? God forgiving us, okay? The second week was forgiveness on our part, forgiving others. That was a love that God wanted us to show. The third week was love between husband and wife. That was last week. Remember, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, admire them, respect them, show them honor, and husbands love your wives, or agapae, love them, meaning love them like Christ loved the church. Be willing to give your life for them. That's a pretty strong love husbands are to give to their wives. Today it is a love that we call compassion and uh, directed towards the needy. If you were to define compassion, it would mean Pity for the suffering. It would mean with desire to help or to spare them of what they're going through. It's feeling accompanied by action. Feeling without action is not love. It's just that. It's just emotion. It's just goosebumps. It's, it doesn't mean anything. So compassion really defined as feeling accompanied by action. So looking at this subject... This thing that we call compassion is really timely for the 21st century in which we find ourselves. The church now needs to be compassionate more than we ever have been before. We really need to be that way. The Bible calls us to that, but there's another reason why compassion is really key to this day that we live in, and that is this. George Barna, who does all this surveying and study of the times and things that are going on, and he, he knows what's going on, he says... The number one reason that people will seek out a church in this day that we live in right now, and he's talking about people that do not go to church, that do not know the Lord, the number one thing that will draw them to a church is simply this, that they will go to a church that cares about them, that shows compassion. It used to be other factors why people would come to church, but the number one thing today is they will go to a church that will care about them and the needs and the crises in their lives and a church that will respond to those things. And uh, so people really want a church like that. And the, that's bad news because George Barna has discovered that people will come to the church that's really meeting crisis needs. But here's what he's also discovered. With the people out there that are not going to church, he's surveyed them, and he's asked them, why do you not go to church? What is it about church that, you, that keeps you away, that you are not going? And he puts it this way, Many people remain unchurched because they have looked us over and do not especially like what they see. That's kind of startling. So there's good news and the bad news. And uh, the long and the short of, is, of it is this, we are entering into a great time of opportunity for the church, maybe one of the greatest opportunities we've had in a long time. For the church. Unchurched people are looking for a church. If they see there is a church that really cares for them, that will really understand them, that will really reach out to them with feet and action in their crisis needs, they will come to that church. That's good news. We have a sign out in front of our church. I don't know if you notice it, if you ever read it. We change the, the little quotes, the slogans from time to time. Sometimes we advertise events on the sign out there. But it's it's out there, and, and I kind of pray for that sign now and then. Lord, help us to put things up there that will draw the attention of people, that will, you know, just do something in their lives, and use that sign as a tool. So there's a sign that people see as they go by. And it would be interesting to know how many different people actually of all the people driving by the church do read that sign, I think the number is probably pretty high because you can't miss the sign. It's there. But you know what? There's another sign out in front of our church. It's invisible. You don't see it. There's no words on it, but it's out there. And I would like for that sign to be the kind of sign that when people drive by this church and they say, there's Derby Church of the Nazarene, I would like for that sign to read to the people in our community that that would be a sign that would say to them, there is a church that loves you. There is a church that if you've got a need and they come to find out about it, they're going to listen to you. And they're going to put feet to action and they're going to do something about it. I would like to have a sign out there that says that very thing. How many churches do you go by in uh, in your work week, and and you ever wonder to yourself, I wonder what they do in their church. Do you ever do that? I wonder what that church is all about. You know, we're Nazarene, you go by a Methodist. I wonder what they do. You see a Baptist church. I, I wonder what they're all about. You see a Presbyterian church. You see a an independent church. You see a community church. You ever ask yourself, I wonder what those people are like and what they do. And if you really knew, that would be an invisible sign of that church. I wish we had an invisible sign that people drive by and they somehow got the word, somebody shared something with them that said, you know, that church is a great church. I've seen them forgive people. I've seen them care for people. I've heard of stories of people going there that I know they've had great needs. And I know that church really Made a difference. That's the invisible sign that that I would like to see. Well, again, speaking on compassion, love is compassion. I've picked out another interesting scripture passage to go along with it. So let's stand and read from God's word and see what it says about compassion. And here's what we read. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each each day before sunset, because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise he may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. You may be seated. Well, we're going to look at some myths today myths are those things that we think are right are real are truthful but they're not they're myths and i've got seven of them i want us to look at this morning it will not take that long to look at them but myth number one is simply this the god of the old testament lacked compassion we'll all have to admit now from time to time that we even think that don't we especially as we're kind of reading through some of our Old Testament now, and we're coming to some things, and, and God tells the people to wipe out every living you know, being and creature and, in places and take over the land, and other things come up. And we, we sometimes get this myth that the God of the Old Testament was not as loving as the God of the New Testament. That is a myth. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today And forever. God does not change. He has always been the same. And uh, so we kind of look at the Old Testament stories of how God showed his anger towards unrighteousness. And we kind of picture him as a fuming God. In fact, some of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament depicting God's anger is the anger depicted of, of a wild boar that is just fuming at the mouth and ready to attack. And that describes God's anger. And God does have anger like that. And God displayed that in the Old Testament. And we see God in the Old Testament as a God who means business, a God you do not trifle with. And as we come to the New Testament and we look at the stories in the life of Jesus, we see a God that we see as so compassionate and loving and caring. But we also do have to admit, don't we, that there were... Periods in Jesus' ministry in which he was a little bit angered. And uh, when he spoke to the Pharisees and he said to them, "Woe!" I mean, this was not uh, just an easy spoken word. This was a very harsh word that he used against them. When he spoke of, of different things coming along and so on, he was not speaking in little soft words, was he? But he was also giving the idea that he believed in a father that you do not trifle with. Remember, too, that in the book of Revelation, Jesus is depicted as both lion and lamb. Lion is a picture of ferociousness. Lamb is the soft, loving. And uh, so God did not change. And and, uh, the sternness of God and the compassion of God will also be there in the day to come. But... Here's what's interesting. In our passage of Scripture, we discover God was a God of compassion. See, he initiates laws for the sake of the poor, for the sake of the unemployed, the widow, the orphan, the stranger living in a foreign territory. In fact, Israel was the only nation upon the face of the earth in that day. If you were a foreigner and you escaped to another country to escape Injustice, say you were wrongly accused of something, and so you, you run to another country to seek asylum or you seek uh, uh, protection. The only nation on the face of the earth that was instructed to protect the foreign um, aliens like that was the nation of Israel. No other nation could you go to and be protected. But God is saying in this passage here, if an alien comes to your nation and he is, he is a fugitive... You protect him now we're talking about a God of compassion here he He was a god of the innocent, he was a god of the hungry, he was a god of the slave he He overlooked all of society, and God was a compassionate God, and He is saying in this passage here, "You too will be God be people of compassion. God has always been this way in our world, and then Jesus came to our world so that God could show us if I really were living among you, if I were in human form, this is who I would be. And Jesus lived that out. So myth number one is God is is a lack of compassion in the Old Testament is a myth. Let's go to number two. The myth, the second myth is this, that compassion can be just simply giving a handout. I give it. I'm done. I've done my deed. That's all I need to do. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame, but have not love, I am nothing. That's given quite a bit, isn't it? I give everything to the poor. Give myself to the flames. Have not love, I am nothing. It's hard to imagine someone giving all they have to the poor if they really didn't have compassion and love for them. Except that, I suppose, maybe they're thinking there's a motive behind it all and I'll receive some great recognition or some great payoff. And, and so they do it because it gains nothing before God. So compassion must come from the heart. And as you read through our passage of Scripture, you get the idea that God is telling the people, I want you to be this way because it's in your heart. I want you to have compassion. Compassion. I want you to feel it. I want you to sense the needs of others. Do it because God loved you. Do it because God showed great compassion on you. Now you reflect that to others. Twice God reminds them of the compassion he showed to them in verses 18 and 22. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Compassion. See, it has to come from the heart, and it has to be more than, well, I'll just give a handout here and there. And not a lot of feeling behind it, not a lot of, really, a lot of concern of what it's doing, just just a handout. Compassion remembers that people have dignity. The giving here that God is instructing the people to do is a very interesting kind of giving. It says, as you, as you harvest your fields, the grain, and you go over your grain, but you look back and you notice, oh, we forgot one there, and one over there, one over there. God says, no, I command you, do not go back and get them. When you shake the olive trees and the olives come down and you gather all the olives, and then a few days later you realize there's more olives we didn't get, God says, do not touch them, leave them there. When you go over your grapevines and you pick all the grapes that are ripe and you take them with you, and maybe a few days later you notice we missed some grapes, God says, Don't go get them. Leave them there. Why? Because it's a dignified way of letting the poor and needy take care of themselves. It's not a handout, is it? Don't you find that very interesting, the way that, that God does that? It's doing two things, isn't it? It's it's making people work for what they can get, but it's also doing it in a dignified manner where they're not begging, where they're not in a handout line, being labeled by society. Uh, it keeps everything in a really uh, good way, not just dumped into their lap. So, myth number two is compassion is not just simply giving a handout. Myth number three is kind of similar, I suppose, but compassion is only to be a one-time thing, we call it. In other words, I kind of feel like I ought to do something. I feel a little bit of guilt, so I'm going to give, and oh, now I feel pretty good. I'm okay. I'll go on my way. But it is not to be that way. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's a very interesting story. You remember how it happened. A man is going down the road to Jericho and he is, he is overcome by thieves and robbers and they beat him up, they leave him half dead and they rob the man. Two individuals walk by on the same road, a priest first, and he decides, I don't think I want to get involved. A Levite comes by later and he says, I don't think I want to get involved. Samaritan then comes by and what does he do? Does he just throw the man a few coins and walk on his way? Because that would be giving, wouldn't it? Isn't that a handout? He didn't. He dirtied himself. I mean, he had to have dirtied himself. The man's bloody, dirty. He cleans him up. He attends to his his wounds. He takes him along with him to an inn. He pays the innkeeper for what needs to be taken care of. And then he returns in a few days later to check on him. Now that's compassion going the distance Not just a simple handout One time I've eased my conscience I feel good I've done something I'll go on my way You see We need to be careful That we don't do good for something Something comes along And then we pat ourselves on the back a little bit And forget them Real compassion is not partial Doesn't go part way but it goes the distance. And no better example of that could we find than God in the Old Testament. When he saw the Israelites were in Egypt, they had been slaves and, and uh, people that had been uh, in slavery there for 400 years. And God says, I'm going to deliver my people. And the first handout he gave them was he sent the plagues and he brought them out of Egypt. God could have said, there's my handout. I'm done with you. You're fine. God said no. Now I'm going to part the Red Sea. You can go across. That would be handout number two, that would be enough. But God said, No, now I gotta feed these people. So he fed them with quail and manna. They were without water. The fourth handout, I gotta give them water. The fifth handout, he had to he had to guide them with the cloud and the the fire. The sixth handout he had to give them victory and their battles. And so God was giving them hand out after hand out after hand out. And then he brought them into the land of Canaan. He's still given. Till he comes to the cross. And gives the ultimate hand out. You see how God's compassion. Isn't just. I'll give a little bit. Feel pretty good about myself. God went the distance. And so. Uh, It's interesting, though, that the people, they're coming out of Egypt. And how many times do they accuse God? You're not a compassionate God. You brought us out here to die. But every time God was there and listened and took them where they needed to go. So compassion is not to be just a one-time thing. Myth number four. We battle this one, don't we? Compassion is costly to me. What does Acts 20.35 say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Anytime you truly give because God has put it in your heart, you receive the greater blessing than the one who received the gift. It's the way God works. In verse 19 of our passage, God told the people, As you give to the needy, the Lord your God will bless you. This is Old Testament stuff. We often refrain from really being compassionate people because we don't think we can really afford to be compassionate. I think it's the American way of life that... Teach us over and over and over, you just got to get more and more and more to be content and happy and fulfilled, and, and so we kind of think, well, I've I got to be happy myself. Well I can give this little bit. And we think happiness, fulfillment, contentment is gaining and gaining and reserving for ourselves. And God says, "Well, that's really not right. Real joy and fulfillment comes in giving. More blessed to give than to receive. It's the hard part. So to be compassionate people, I think we have to pray to God. Help me to have your heart. Impress upon my heart that I can afford to be giving. Cut the string to my wealth and my possessions. Set me free from it. Give me the spirit of compassion with all I have And all I do. Myth number five. Man, i got to slow down. (laughs) Myth number five is my compassionate giving can be impersonal. I don't have to get that involved. I can give, but I can do it Internet style. I'm not saying I'm against Internet giving, but I'm saying the myth that, I personally don't have to get involved in giving. I don't have to be like the Samaritan and get dirty and that type of thing. You see, um, or doing it kind of in the third person, involved but not directly involved. James two fourteen to 17, we read this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So we go back to the parable of the good Samaritan. That Samaritan, he stopped. He attended to the needs of the wounded man. I'm sure he got dirty. You know, could have got contaminated, all that kind of stuff. And he took him where he needed to go. He came back to check on him. And if we are living in a day in which unchurched people are saying, I will go to a church if I have found a church that says, we will really care for you and love you and be compassionate towards you. If all of that that is... is is true, then it makes sense that the effective church is really going to be the compassionate church. Interesting to me. Whether small church, big church, metal church, brick church, stone church, church in a tent, probably doesn't matter. And we need to do that. Now I'm reading an email. You remember last week we gave a cap to a man. Remember that? Marvin. I haven't talked with Linda enough to find out what Marvin has. Uh, he lives in a Starkey home. The gentleman that comes with her, the uh, other gentleman, that's a white gentleman, has, um, he's autistic. Here's what she told me last week. I thought this is, this is so interesting. If you know anything about autistic people... When Linda brings these gentlemen to church, she always parks in the same parking spot. Guess what? Last week, somebody got her parking spot innocently. They parked there, and this autistic gentleman that she brought with her just went berserk. Said, we don't park here. We always park there. And he was thrown completely off because of his autism. Somebody innocently again did something wrong. They come into church, and somebody was in their pew. They always sit in. And again, he was, I don't know what he did, but she said he knew it. That's not the pew we sit in. He's autistic. And I don't know what Marvin has, but, but she emailed me this week, and I just want to read it to you. This, this is compassion, really, and it's what it's all about. Her subject was, Sunday was great. She says, thanks so much for the cap for Marvin. He is very shy, but it is all he has talked about, his cap. Isn't that something? And uh, she went on to talk about somebody she noticed in church that day, last week, that she thought was very sad looking. And she said, I'm going to pray for them. And I'm not going to say, she didn't have a name or anything. She described the person, but I'm not going to do that. She says, I would also like to ask about the trip. What is it about in July? For I didn't see any women's names, but was wondering what kind of work was it and, and such, for I would like to do something, not sure yet. Maybe if that doesn't work out, maybe going to one of the kids' camps to help out. I am wanting to get to know some of the ladies at church and hoping I can make it to Sunday school, but next weekend, which is today, I will be working another house and I cannot come but maybe one day to Sunday school. I am hoping to slow down on working once I get caught up from being off. Money can be so stressful, and being alone is hard at times. I am feeling more comfortable at church, and people are very friendly. I would love to try to get a missionary book, for I would love to get all six of them read. I'm just reading that little email, because as I was preparing the sermon this week, I thought, you know, that's... That really is a little story of compassion as a church. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Being compassionate as a church. Let's go on to myth number six. Some people think compassion is not for everybody, that you have to be gifted to be compassionate. That some people it's just automatic for them, that it's not for everybody. But again, we look at James 2 and verse 14, and James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? In our passage of scripture that we read through this morning, God is instructing all the farmers among the Israelites to leave something for the needy. How many of the Israelites were farmers? Every last one, except for the Levites who took care of the tabernacle. So every Israelite was a farmer. Some had larger farms, some had smaller farms. It was divvied up according to tribe and size and so on. And, but it didn't matter. Rich farmers, poor farmers, God said, All of you, I want you all to be involved in this act of compassion and giving. Don't you find that interesting? No exclusions. And uh, I have witnessed some very big giving through my years of ministry from some people that didn't have very much at all. I find interesting. So it's a myth to say, well, only certain people are compassionate. Only certain people are called to do that. Only certain people, maybe if that have a lot of extra whatever, they're the ones called to be compassionate. But, God says, no, it's for everybody. And I have a feeling there's more to this than we think of. Part of it is when we're showing compassion, we are being an imitator of Christ. If we lack that compassion, whether we're rich or poor or whatever, we are failing to be an imitation of Christ. So it's for everybody. Myth number seven. You can show Christian compassion without a strong relationship with Christ. Now, here's what is true. You can give a huge sum or a great amount um, to the poor and suffering. Everything you have, in fact. Even with a heart that's not right with Christ. But you will not have compassion. First Corinthians 13 and 3 tells us you can do that, but if you don't have the compassion part, what does it do? It's nothing. So you need that strong relationship with Christ. And uh, that is definitely giving with compassion. We need that. And remember what compassion is. compassion is pity for the suffering of mankind with the desire to help. And to spare someone of what might be going on in their lives. True compassion comes from God. And it comes from this, the constant realization that God has given to you. That is why you are so rich in spirit and in every other gift that God gives to you. It is his love, forgiveness, mercy, and compassion on us that makes compassion well up inside of us, and onto others. In this passage here, God reminded the people two times, remember where you came from? Out of Egypt. Slavery. Where have I brought you to? The land of Canaan. And you see, God brought them out. And our compassion and our love for people will be as strong as We allow it to be as we are reminded of what God has done for us. We're so undeserving, and yet God gave so freely. I wonder what our sign would read out in front. The invisible one. The one that's not really stated in letters. People drive by. I wonder if there's people you know. And you've shared a story about this church and they've shared it with somebody else and somebody else and they hear this story about Derby Church of the Nazarene and they drive by this church and they look over here and they say, yeah, that's the church. Something going on there. Something special. Crises they listen to. They take note of. They get involved in your life. They don't just give a handout. You know it's... Coming from their heart, you know the the very spirit and love of Christ is within them. I wonder what would happen if that sign shone very brightly. let's um, ushers if you will come forward. I need two ushers very quickly. two real quick got one Usher Usher usher. There we go. okay. Bob, there's a box there, and Rod, there's a box there. If you could very quickly pass out a candle to everybody in the sanctuary, I think we're going to have enough. Every child, every they can hold a candle and be safe with it. Okay. Kathy, if you could, can you just turn those lights off back there in the corner? And I guess we'll keep the lights on up here. There we go. We're going to call this our compassion candle, okay? And uh, I don't want you to forget this experience. I want it to be a flame that, that burns into your heart, burns into your life, burns into your will. God, help me, to be, help me to be that compassionate person. There are some great compassionate people here in our congregation that really listen to needs, And go the extra mile. And don't just give out a handout. And all of us, our prayer, God, make me a compassionate person that attends to the crises in others' lives. And as soon as the brothers are done and come forward, we'll pray and then we'll light our candles and sing the final song. Okay. Now, Bob and Rod, I've got to really trust you guys on this next thing. I'm going to light their candles. They're going to go down the middle and light the first candle in the middle, and that person will light the candle next to them, and we will just go right on down the line like that. Well, let's try this. That's why I brought two here. Yeah, yeah, light the first person, and they'll light the one next to him. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that this little candle will be a a real reminder of what you have called us to be in our lives. We pray, Lord, that as the flame in this candle is very real and warm, that, Lord, the flame of your love and your spirit would ignite down within us and, Lord, out of that would come love and compassion that would go further, Lord, maybe than we have been. And we'll realize that we can give, that you always give back more than we give out. And, Lord, that we'll be more sensitive and, and pick up on things and what's going on in others' lives and just respond as a good Samaritan. Respond as you would have us to. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.